Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, October 10th, 2014. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about aggressive enhancement, the physical web, and the death of the browser. Dun, dun, dun. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. By the way, there's a little bit of static at the beginning of the episode, uh, but it goes away, so don't don't get too worried. Good afternoon. Hello. We haven't done an afternoon show in a long time. It's I know. Either morning or late at night. I know. Very wacky. That's okay. It still feels like morning. That's true. It does. <laughs> I actually had a meeting, um, a big meeting scheduled for this afternoon that got canceled at the last minute, which is why this is even possible. Ah, so we we still have one today, though, don't we? We do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I apologize if you have to edit out the sound of gunshots. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have I have the window open, um, and uh, apparently I have a neighbor who's doing some target shooting. <laughs> Good lord. I well, I do live in the middle of, you know, it's it's a very rural area, so. It's like the Wild West. Well. Redneck-landia. But. <laughs> Title. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That was fast. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't take long. No. And that's our show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Well, keep your head down. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to pull out that tinfoil hat. <laughs> Protective properties. Mm-hmm. Well, dear listener, we have a fun topic for you this week. I think it's uh, a little bit of the provocative variety, but we shall see. Perhaps it will not be at all to our audience, but uh, looking forward to talking about that. But first, let's talk about housekeeping. Okay. Do we have any? Uh, A little bit. Just some uh, quick updates. Next week should be um, more or less a regular schedule in terms of the podcast, but mm-hmm. next weekend, so uh, a week from the date that this particular episode will be released, yes. we're going to be doing the Rails Rumble. We are. It starts, it starts at 8 p.m. on Friday, our time. Oh, did not realize that. I was picturing yeah. midnight. No, it's it's midnight, uh, midnight GMT, so it'll be 8 p.m. our time. Oh, so that means we end at 8 p.m. on Sunday? Yes. Oh, that's fabulous. That's that's way better. It's it's way better than staying up and starting at midnight. Yes. Yeah, totally. I was like, f- f- end of the week by midnight, I'm going to be like too deep into glasses of wine, <laughs> <laughs> which I know is a no-no on Rails Rumble. So um, that's way better. Oh, I like yeah. that. We can actually have some make some real progress by the time we uh, have to give up the ghost, at least for our Edison nap. Mm-hmm. Um, well, being that it's coming up so quick and that, uh, the general public is allowed to vote this year, if I'm cor- not mistaken. Yes. Um, so we are going to cheat as much as possible <laughs> by enlisting the dear listener support. We are, we are. In giving us the thumbs up, uh, when it gets to that point. But we wanted to introduce the idea, um, First, because it's, I think, relevant, and second of all, because I'm just crazy excited about it, and I can't... Yeah, I am, I am too. I can't keep the cat in the bag any longer. No, it's been hard. Um, should we just 
rip the band-aid off? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so our idea is called Cast Backer, and it is admittedly somewhat self-serving, but um, <laughs> it is a crowdfunding site for podcasters so listeners can back podcasts that they love um, right now there's not really a great way to do that yeah there are there are a couple of similar ish sites but they're they're very general and so what we're building will be tailored specifically to audio podcasts with some some cool features for that right yeah heavily optimized for that and credit where credit is due um the uh jack from pomplamoose has a site called patreon which i i wanted to be what castback is going to be when i first heard about it i was like oh sweet because we've been approached repeatedly with uh by advertisers to to put ads on the podcast (laughs) those Mm -hmm. fools um (laughs) but it's always felt like it's always felt weird to us to get into that i don't know yeah i you know i i wouldn't be super opposed to it if it was something like a service that we use and love but i'd feel weird about just like our our podcast is sponsored by this thing we have no idea if it's any good or not right yeah and i think i think we would have to i don't know it just gets weird it just like just thinking about it and having emails back and forth with the whoever the advertiser was it just it just sounds like a suck all the fun out of it yeah Uh, at the same time you know we it's not cheap to do this so um you know like when we get a transcript done it's like a hundred bucks which is why we don't get them done that often and we've got hosting and everything else and time out of our day and all that but we both do it just for the the love of doing it Mm -hmm. Uh, but if there was a way for people a very easy way for people to support the podcast uh, you know let's give it to them right and whether or not it's this podcast or other podcasts. Or, I just, or other podcasts. or yeah. just Yeah. It feels like in general. I, I just, I love the idea. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I just love podcasts. Like I would, I will, I'm going to use it like yeah. for other podcasters, you know? Yeah. If you can get them to sign up, you it's like, here, sign up for, sign up for Castbacker and I'll back you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Just go on here. Just please go here. Do this. Um, so, so very excited about that on multiple yeah. levels. Um, Cool. So if uh, you, the dear listener, have thoughts on that, good idea, bad idea, um, you know, questions like, oh, why don't you just use Flatter or PayPal buttons or blah, 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 go ahead and ask us because that will help inform our uh, development. Um, We are using the skateboard process that we talked about on a previous episode, I believe. We are. Or was it it you talking about that on the Rails Rumble podcast? Uh, I think it appeared both places. Okay, so if you remember back a couple episodes ago, we talked about the skateboard process where we, where at, at every possible stage we have a working product and we just enhance it, enhance it, enhance it. So we've got a real solid plan for like skateboard level features, scooter features, bike features, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how far we get by Sunday night. It's going to be a pretty big skateboard, but. Yeah, there's, I mean, minimum viable product here. I mean, right off the bat, you have to have payments. It's like yeah. the whole key to it. Um, so we're going to be leveraging Stripe heavily uh, for that. It's just really exciting. So we're looking forward to talking about that like crazy uh, coming up. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. We'll have to. We'll have to. Maybe, maybe the episode after the podcast, we can just devote to to that. Reflection. After the rumble, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. After yeah, the podcast after the podcast. No, that's the one. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> the podcast after the rumble. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, totally. If we can even pull out, like, ugh. I'm going to be getting ready to go to Disney, I think, so. Oh, yeah. Um, excellent. So, very excited to talk about that more in the future. Yes. Next up, um, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that I did a workshop last week or two weeks ago called uh, Cross-Platform Perfection, which a big feature of that workshop is teaching people how to do aggressive progressive enhancement. Mm-hmm. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, and and it's a, uh, I do this uh, exercise um, where I, I basically the ultimate goal is to create a photo gallery, kind of like we've done, and not like sticky exactly, more like a slideshow, like on, um, like we did on Entertainment Weekly and on mm-hmm. Time and the others, TechCrunch. Right. And, and so, so that's the goal. And I show people the sort of final product and I say, okay, here's this. Now, th- just think for a second how you'd go about doing this. And, and people do things like, you know, oh, I'd look for a jQuery plugin or, you know, just like there's, oh, there's a library for that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I go, no, let's do it like this. Um, because all that stuff is fine assuming lots of things. But if you can't assume the, that lots of things because, oh, I don't know, someone's on a lame uh, web browser or they're on some kind of device that's whatever, you know, you know, the drill, mm-hmm. um, degrading from something like a jQuery plugin that was built for iPhone six is really hard. Yeah, it is, but it's really easy. And just, it may be the same or less work to start small, assume, assume a very constrained device, work your way up from there and just add features as you go up and you end up with this multi-layered like at any layer you can control which experience is delivered to what and you've got like a brilliant sort of (laughs) fallback what you have a skateboard and then you have a scooter (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's the exact same thing it's the same concept except for you can except for you can so like with with castbacker you're really just going to have the the feature set. Yeah. Right. You can't like roll, but you know, I want a smaller, wow, that would be crazy. Imagine if you could say, you know what? I, there's too many features in the car cast backer. I just want the, God, we could almost do that. Can I just trade this in for a bike? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this, um, this analogy I'm finding applies to pretty much everything in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I'm getting some static from your end. Any idea what that is? Uh, not a clue. Battery dying maybe in something? No. All right. Hopefully it won't persist. There's uh, a there's a, a bit of a... Um, or maybe that was gunfire in the background. <laughs> is it an automatic <laughs> weapon? A, no. There's a persistent <laughs> wind blowing outside, though. Perhaps. Yeah. It, it sounded like electronic static, though. Uh, I don't know. It's probably just automatic weapons fire. So, um, okay. So the, 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 so that's the exercise I do in the workshop, but I did one recently, uh, Kelly and I actually sort of collaborated on one recently. That's very, it like boils it down to the smallest, like to one particular interface element. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So in this case, it happens to be a checkbox and, um, we, <laughs> we wrote some code to take a checkbox and enhance it up to, sort of fancy iOS settings, sliding switch type of thing. Yes. And at any point, your browser can crap out and the thing will still work. So it's uh, it's fairly all or nothing. Like it's it's a cut the mustard style test, if I recall correctly, where um, you 
you get a checkbox normally, and that will work, obviously work everywhere. Yep. Um, what we should do is add a little bit of, of nice CSS styling to the checkbox itself, which we didn't do. To no, make well, it we didn't, did we? Yeah, we could do that to make it more finger-friendly on mobile. That's a great idea. I'll add that in. Um, and then uh, assuming you have certain features enabled, you know, like CSS transitions and et cetera, et cetera, then... JavaScript. Wait, there's no JavaScript on it, is there? Uh, no, that one does have JavaScript. I did use JavaScript. Right, right, right. The one you originally showed me didn't, which I thought was overly... Sometimes CSS gets a little overly clever for its own good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this... Um, so you can, you can like use it with no dependencies and just totally not worry about whether or not it's going to work because you're always going right. to at least a, have a checkbox with a, a label checkbox. next to it. Um, so if people can check that out. It's called Simple Switch on GitHub and, um, and we can link to it in the show notes. Uh, if nothing else, if, yeah, if nothing else, you can totally like check it out and like see, understand the approach and yeah. whether or not you ever use it. Uh, cool. Yeah, and I like it. It's a nice switch. Yeah, it's not bad. And it's really small. Like, that's not a lot it of code. Is. No, it's not a lot of code. It's really easy to, to implement. And and like you said, good support. So. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So simple switch. Check it out. Um, next up, I talked about Mayo a couple of times. That's that uh, EKG armband that... Uh, you can connect two things with Bluetooth to control them using touchless gestures. Yes. Are you casting spells in your basement yet? <laughs> Formerly known as gestures. Um, I am <laughs> not. I am so oh. far. I've only had time to play with it for about an hour and so far. It's wah, wah. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. For example, it, it, and take all of this with a grain of salt because I just could have not gone through the documentation far enough yet. But... Um, as far as I can tell so far, it only will connect to your computer. I, I must be wrong, but it comes with this little Bluetooth dongle that you have to plug in to something mm -hmm. in order to connect the Mayo, which is ho hopefully that is just for setup or something. And it doesn't have to always be like that. Cause if I can't connect it to like my Roku Bluetooth on your phone or, or yeah. phone, yeah, it's going to be like, Oh great. So I can, I can, this thing I wear only works when I'm near when I'm near my computer and it's open and I'm, and I'm already right in front of it. So who cares? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just, I'm sure that that can't be that way. It would be such a bummer. Um, but anyway, looking forward to, um, talking about that a little more once I know more. Yes. And you've, your hint has shipped. My hint has shipped. My hint does not exist. Ugh, that's horrible. I know. So yeah, what did you do? You like canceled the order to change yeah. the payment method or something? Well, it wasn't just changing the payment method. It was ordering it from another Google account. Otherwise, I could have just edited the order. Oh. Um. Yeah, I had canceled the order, and I was going to do it from another Google account because it had a different card tied to it. I didn't want to enter the card on my blah, blah, blah. And so I canceled the order... To make a new one and then immediately got distracted by something work-related and forgot to make the new order. Mm. And by the time I remembered and went back, it was you couldn't, couldn't order anymore. <sighs> yeah. That's painful. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll try not to talk about it. Hopefully it'll be horrible. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm secretly hoping it sucks. Yeah, it's supposed to be here tomorrow, though. So yeah, no, feel know. free to talk about it. I, I want to hear all about it, but even if it's torturous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shall see. So yes, I will. I will keep my fingers crossed that it blows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope for your sake that it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some. I've heard some. I, I got at least one person on Twitter who knows someone who has one who says that it's not that great, um, but you know, remains to be seen. Obviously, voice input has significant limitations, regardless. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, but I also spoke with someone who, who, I'm not sure how much of this I can talk about, but has has strong reason to believe that this product has been in development for a decade. Really? Yeah, and was in an early, you know, it was like a straight up Bluetooth earpiece at one point. Mm-hmm. But now that software exists for things like Google Now and the the Motorola X phone is like always on listening and just the, the whole kind of back-end environment has changed so much in 10 years that now it can be a real product. So um, it makes me a lot more confident that it'll be pretty good. Nice, yeah. Um, excellent. So I cannot wait. That is going to be fun. Um, speaking of voice activation, I hooked up, um, I was like, oh, now that I've got SMS support for Kilo, which I'm liking more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, and uh, my next step is I'm going to reverse engineer the, the command line interface, which is very, you know, set up the way a Unix geek would set it up with like, you know, dash flags and stuff like that. I'm like, why did I do that? Why didn't I just say kilo log calorie? You know, like log sort of natural language. Yeah. yeah. Like who who cares about flags? Just pass this string in and parse it with regular expressions, just like the website's doing. Right. And then I can use that same code base everywhere. I just install that in the server like a little binary and just pass the input to it. So I'm like, oh yeah, that's so so what's cool there is that I'm kind of unifying two different code bases. Mm-hmm. And um and uh, it, and it, for the better and like improving both. So I dig that. So I was like, Oh, wait a second. I can send text messages with Google glass. Like, let me try So I'm, I'm like, I can want to put on, I put on glass mm-hmm. and I connect it to my phone. I haven't connected to my phone in probably a year or like since I got it, I don't know how long I've had since it. Since you got it back from me. Oh, right. Yeah. Since I got it back from you, I haven't used it. Yeah. So, uh, I'm like, ah, go in there and like, 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 I go, you know, send a message, you know, okay, or what is, okay, glass, send a message to Kilo. And it's like, oh, no recent contacts, but you can scroll through your list and and send a message that way. So because of the way that Google Plus works, Mm -hmm. I have like over a thousand contacts in my contact list. (laughs) Right, right. Because Google, Google thinks anyone you have ever emailed ever should be a contact. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I want to scroll through them on my glasses. Right. So like maybe 10 minutes later of fiddling around and like I starred the contact in email because it, it's supposed to show starred contacts at the beginning and recognize them via voice command, but it, it mm-hmm. doesn't seem to work. It's just like such a bummer. Yeah. It's just like, they just like, oh man. Anyway, that it, glass needs a major rethink. Yeah. yeah. I told my phone to phone home <laughs> a couple of days ago. And it did, and then it dawned on me that I never, like, I've never told my phone the number that is home, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know how my phone knew that. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, the server-side algorithms are really good. They're really smart, yeah. but the, the just the I.O. on the glasses is just crap. Yeah. It's so amazing. The technology is so amazing, and it's so small, but it's just somehow it just doesn't... It's amazing, yeah. but it's just disappointing. It's like doesn't... Like, everything is harder. Everything, yeah. everything takes longer. And people are pointing in your face and laughing at you. So it's like, there's just no benefit. Right. I right. wanted it to be so good. But anyway. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, like, smart glasses projects on Kickstarter now. So, yeah. I mean, the idea has merit. It's just... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is, like, in the 10 minutes that I had him on trying to make it work, I had an instant headache. So it's like... Yeah. That's that is got that's hard. Like you got to yeah. get over that somehow cuz I don't want Yeah, wear... until right, until the until the the hardware gets lighter and the input methods get better because like if your glasses need a need a um a touchpad. Hmm. Yeah. You need some backup cuz voice it's shocking how many places right. voice doesn't work. Like if you're yeah. using voice all the time or as much as possible, like easily 50% of the time in my life Maybe more. It's so rare for me to be in an acquired environment. It's so right. rare. Right. And, my, and um, I noticed the Moto X is decent at filtering out background noise. Mm -hmm. But it's not great. Yeah. It's, it's got inherent flaws. I mean, everything's got its strengths. You can, mm -hmm. It's a great way to do... If you, if you can use it, if it's quiet enough, it is a great way to do like a long email. Yeah. Great. It's great at it. Um, but you know, you just got to lock yourself in a bathroom or something. That's the problem. <laughs> so like, and for me, I ride my bike a lot. So like the use case where I would want something like hint or glass to work, especially is when I'm riding a bike. Cause you can't use your hands. Like if I'm walking around, right. I can use my phone reasonably well, but not on your bike. So we'll see. So fingers crossed for, for, uh, hint and still thumbs down on glass. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so speaking of gadgets, I got a thing in the mail the other day mm -hmm. that you might be interested in. I don't think we've talked about it specifically, but do you remember, have you ever heard of a Tessel? A Tessel? No, I haven't. It is. Oh, wait, I think I have. Is that like the, maybe we'll continue. Uh, it is kind of like a, what was that wearable thing that we got? The little chip? That we got. Um, the MetaWare? MetaWare, yeah. It's, if I understand it correctly, it's kind of like that. It's like a little mini, mini, mini Arduino type of thing, but mm -hmm. it has like a system on a chip with Node installed. So you, you, all the programming you do is in JavaScript. Okay. Yeah. Is this the one we were looking at that had like the different, different sort of printed boards that just kind of Lego bricked onto it? Yes. And okay. so, uh, and I got, I got a Tesla, which is a hundred bucks and I got the, um, or total, I think I spent 125 for a Tesla, which is the main board that I believe has Wi-Fi by default. And I got the Bluetooth low energy module as well. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is roughly the size of a credit card. Okay. So a little bigger than the Metaware, but still small. Certainly. Yes. Yeah. S smaller, smaller than a pie, bigger than a Metaware. Yes, exactly. And the reason, dear listener, that I spent 125 bucks for that is that uh, Google has announced a new project called the Physical Web. And 
I was especially interested in this because the lead person on that project is someone I know pretty well in real life. Oh, cool. Um, as, as those things go these days, uh, meaning that I've met him more than once in real life, um, named Scott Jensen, who was at Apple. Uh, he was a lead at Frog Design, and now he's at Google. And mm-hmm. he's finally being, he's finally able to announce this project called Physical Web. And he's been talking about it at conferences, which is where I've met him. Uh, he's been talking about this sort of notion of being able to walk up to anything and just begin to interact with it without having to have this like setup process, like install a native app and, and fiddly diddly stuff to like, you know, scanning QR codes or any of this funny business. He wants to be able to, his, the classic use case he always brings up is I want to go to a bus stop, pull up my phone and, and have immediately see a link to the time for the next bus. Right like instantly and and so he's been talking about it for a while and sort of like a lot of people sort of greet it with head scratching and stuff because it's a little bit like well how would you do that and it's like well that's not the point that's what i want to do that's like the experience that i want yeah and so now he's finally drilling into okay how could we actually make this happen with the existing technology right there are there are similar similar systems in place like at um which I know it's nowhere, nowhere near the same level of complexity, but like, like, like busy malls. Well, if you're like, you can go and if you're blind, you can get a headset. And as you walk through the mall and get near things, it will tell you where you are. Oh, that's cool. So what is it? Must be like geofenced or something. Yeah, like that. I would imagine so. Yeah. It, that's so there's a, it's actually the, the physical web is a really, uh, well, first of all, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'll bring it up. It's an extremely active discussion going on in the GitHub project mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, where do you start? So I'll start with the basic premise. The, the premise is incredibly simple, and it's so simple that it's almost deceptively mundane. You're just like, that's stupid. That's QR codes, but check it out. So the, the concept is that um, in terms of initial implementation, uh, they're using Bluetooth to broadcast a URL mm-hmm. and, and nothing else. Like there's very, very little that you can broadcast. There's very little room available in the, in the uh, Bluetooth specification for, or the protocol for much data. Oh, really? Yeah, really small. So, mm-hmm. um, and there's also a way to set up Bluetooth where it's not, well, in the, in the non-bidirectional way. So, right. so you don't have to pair with it. Uh, it doesn't know who you are. It doesn't get any information about your device. It's just broadcasting one way. Right. It's like a little beacon. Exactly. And exactly. Like that's exactly what they're called. So um, so the concept is that you're walking around and the, the, the bus stop has a little Bluetooth beacon going on it that's just saying, you know, like this information is available. And in a perfect world that your OS would pick up on that and you'd see on your lock screen the bus stop was broadcasting or you have a rail that was relevant to you. Right. Like when you scan an NFC chip. Uh, but yes, without having, but without, but without scan, having to scan anything. That's the whole key. The key is right. not having to scan anything. So you could say, well, just put a QR code on the sign. And yes, that would do the same thing, but it makes, it makes it a lot more proactive on the user's part. Yeah. Especially in the U S where you have to have a scanner in, in, in Eastern countries, QR codes are incredibly popular and everything scans QR codes, like the built-in camera scans QR codes, hmm. QR codes. Yeah. It's incredibly popular in China, Japan. Uh, I don't know about India, but anyway, uh, if you're into that, check with Stephanie Rieger on Twitter for more information. 
But QR codes are, as, as much as we goof on them in the West, they are really, really popular elsewhere. Um, okay, so, so the idea of broadcasting these URLs is super interesting because um, right now they're implementing it with an Android app. So if you have the Android app, you can install that and then you get your, blue, your little Bluetooth LE module and you can program it to broadcast URLs. And so when you get the URL, it doesn't necessarily tell you anything. So the application on your phone needs to ping the URL to pull back three pieces of metadata, which are the title of the page, the description of the page, and uh, the favicon. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that? Or fave icon? I'd say fave icon. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, uh, it, so then it displays a list. Because presumably if, the, if this was popular at all, or you went to like a conference, they'd be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd be popping up like crazy and there'd be no way. To, you'd just be this list of raw URLs. You wouldn't know what right. to click on. People, people would be wearing them, like broadcasting their business cards. Well, that, exactly. That's one of the use cases, cases that came up. And it, that would be great. Imagine how awesome that would be. You could just like... <laughs> Go, you know, you're talking to someone, blah, 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 and be like, are you broadcasting? Yeah, pull out my phone. And, like, that's me. Tap on it. Boom. Add it to yeah. the address book. That would kill. <laughs> that's the interaction that Bump wanted, like, what, seven years ago? Yeah, but, like, I don't want to have to bang my phone together, you know? Right. Or be like, do you have the Bump app installed? Yeah. Just install the Bump app, and then we'll, you know, bump our phones together. It'll be so cool. It's and, so like, much easier. Yeah, and I'm actually going to come back to that notion of, like, if the Bump install app was installed everywhere we wouldn't be having this conversation right so uh anyway so the so people are coming at it from all different levels and they're like really um i guess it's it's a good thing there a lot of people are just sort of like poking holes in it like everything from well if we're just bro you know well, first, a lot of people who wanted to get involved were like hardcore developers. And they're like, no, 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 we should send, uh, you know, you should be two-way communication. We should be able to send more things than just the URL or like, what if there's sensor data on the thing? You know, all this stuff. They're like, no, 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 it'd be so cool if we could do this and do this. And and Scott, to his credit, and, and I 100% agree with him. He's like, no, that will ruin the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't there, wasn't there lights on Kickstarter a while back that would just broadcast broadcast data like they broadcast a url you could leave notes and stuff on it there's uh there are two things that you might be talking about one is that there are lights that can broadcast data by flickering in at a rate that you can't see but that a camera can pick up no these were these were um like the lights themselves had the light itself had nothing to do with like the actual broadcast technology. The lights just happened to be the thing that the broadcasting stuff was in because every room needs lights. Right, and you like screw it into the base and the base is therefore powered because it's screwed into the light socket and the light is powered because it's screwed into the base and the base can be configured to send information. It does Something sound f- like that, yeah, yeah, I don't remember. It sounds familiar, but I don't exactly. There's. It might have been an I, when iBeacons came out because there was a lot of people... Uh, trying to make hay off that one. Yeah, it might have been, but you you had to have an app. But if you had the app, like if you walked into a room, it would pull up that information on your app on your phone. Mm. So yeah, it's a similar concept. And so yeah. th- the thing is that there initially it's like he's trying to keep it as broad and simple as possible to encompass as many use cases as possible. And people are like, oh, it'd be so much cooler if it was more powerful. And I'm like, that's not the point. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, look at the name, physical web. It needs to be have the properties of the web for physical objects. 
So simple, inclusive, extend the power of the URL to a guitar, a lamp, anything. Yeah. So that those aren't, aren't great examples, but like, um, so here, here I think is a good example. And again, this is assuming that you have this, that you can read these broadcasts. So it, for the time being, it means that you'd have to have this, this sort of beacon client installed on your phone. But I could set up in my house, right? I could set up like um, a, a broadcast that wouldn't even, here's the thing, like it doesn't have to be on the specific thing as long as it's in mm-hmm. the, in the phys- close physical proximity to the thing. So I could set up a Bluetooth, that, and this is what I'm going to try and do with this thing, with this one that I have, is broadcast, I don't know if I can do it, if, if it just support one or multiple, but I want to set up a bunch of different broadcasts for like a bunch of stuff that you need to know in my house. And the URLs I'm going to use will be IP addresses that are only accessible on my LAN. Right. So as long as you come into my house and connect to my Wi-Fi, you'd be able to see like um, how to work, like a little video about how to work our dishwasher, which is totally ridiculously complicated. (laughs) Or like um, how to work the Xbox, what rules Cooper is allowed to do. Like a babysitter can come over and be like, here's a list of stuff that in my house that's broadcasting to you. Yeah. And again, like if this stuff became standard and became popular, because I could just set up that web page. Right. I could set yeah. up like a, a FAQ for my house and host it on a local web server, which I would have to do any like I still have to create the web server on my LAN. Yeah, there was a and there was a talk at the uh, Wicked Good Ruby conference last year about a guy who did this um a bunch of different things throughout his house uh, with uh, Ruby, uh, like Sinatra apps and Raspberry Pis. Hmm. Interesting. And they were like how tos for his house. Uh, it had all kinds of different data. I don't remember now exactly what it was. Um, like sensor data from stuff and just just various home automation type things. I can try and find the video. Hmm. In the talk. That would be really cool. Yeah, we'll link to it. So the so Scott is like he's like there are three. Um, three use cases where this is really interesting and arguably I think the one that will be most common which is basically the broadcast QR codes Mm -hmm. is the most powerful because any idiot could do it (laughs) like anybody can participate in this ecosystem with very little knowledge like any garden variety web developer could could. Very, very little knowledge and it sounds like very little expense yes Right. So there's that. So I think that use case will be by far the most popular. And then there are more complicated use cases where the the broadcast URL has like query parameters strung onto the end of it from Mm -hmm. the device itself. Mm -hmm. So that, for example, um, as I'm like, like, I've got this device that is broadcasting a URL in my house of like, this is contrived, but like the current temperature or... Yeah, or, you got or, one on George's collar with his medication information. Yeah, exactly. Or like, when, yeah, when it, when, like how long it is until he needs it again. Mm-hmm. Or or the bus stop example, the, the time to the next, bu- next bus could be calculated on the device and put into the URL so that actually the there could be other sensors that are local that are uh, sending important data to the web page that you're going to view. So the, the page that you're going to view is not necessarily static. Right. Oh, man, can, can you imagine just like like being a student and walking into a classroom and your phone suddenly having like, here's all the reference material for the things we're going to talk about today. Right. 
yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, museums is a great one. Where, oh like, yeah, more information. And I know there are already kinds of solutions for this, but this is so much easier <laughs> than because the other stuff. Like for example, Bluetooth does this. Like you can you can have. Uh, or actually Bluetooth supports a, a much more advanced thing, which is the third use case where the discover URL points back at the device that's projecting it mm -hmm. and creates like a handshake for a very interactive um, uh, engagement. So like, so like I, you come over to my house and you're like, oh, let me see if anything's broadcasting. Oh, sweet. The TV's broadcasting. It's controls to me. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you're like, you just tap on this link. The link goes to the IP address of the TV and calls up a web page on the TV that allows you to turn it on, turn it off, change the channel, change the volume. So your phone automatically becomes a remote control for my TV. Yeah. But that's a lot of work. Like you'd have to set up a really complicated, well, you'd have to set up a reasonably complicated application on the TV. The TV manufacturer would have to. Uh, so this is the kind of stuff that's not going to happen instantly and you can't immediately just get started doing that like full interactive control thing. Mm -hmm. uh, not to mention the fact that you'd have to be on the same LAN. So it's like just being in the proximity of the Bluetooth broadcast will allow you to get the link on your phone. But if the link is on the LAN, you have to be on the Wi-Fi to use it. Yeah, this is what, remember this is what we were talking about when we when I first made a uh, Hue panel. Yeah about being able to just walk into someone's house and, and pull up hughpanel.com or whatever it is and, and control their lights. And wildly it works because the, because the, um, the base station is broadcast is like doing a poll, like a right. polling of the API. So, so you can actually, so that actually works without being on the land, which is wild. Like hue panel works without being on the land, but the hue app doesn't. Right. It's kooky. So anyway, so uh, so a bunch of things, a bunch of things. So there's one technical thing that's really fun to think about, which is that um, when when the URL, so so I pull out my phone, wake up the lock screen. Let's let's stick with reality. I pull out my phone, I launch the mm -hmm. the the um, physical web app, the client, yes. the thing that receives the beacons, the broadcast, and it says, oh okay. Here's here's a potentially gigantic list of um, URLs. Imagine you're in an airport, yeah, and United, every airline, United, America, everybody, they've got these beacons all over the place. Every single gate yep. has all one. The all the restaurants, all, all the restaurants, yeah. the United Club, the all the stuff. They're everywhere, right? You pull out your yeah, and there's billions of people walking through there. So at any given time, you've got like a hundred people in range of like. 600 beacons mm -hmm. so and imagine imagine for a second that you're in like like oh. in atlanta there's a whole wing that's just united a oh, wing uh a, a terminal that's all united so you go in there and all uh, odds are po it's possible that all of those beacons will be sending traffic to united.com to some mm -hmm. like weird pages buried in united.com so you so you're going through there now a hundred people are Every for every person who walks past one beacon, that that one person walks past one beacon, the beacon sends the raw URL to the phone, and the phone has to ping the the server to pull back the metadata so <laughs> they can display the link in a way that's meaningful to a human. Yeah. So now you you multiply that by a hundred beacons and a hundred people, 
and you have like 10,000 web requests per 100 people walking by. Yeah. Which in a crowded terminal takes no time. <laughs> yeah. So it would be just like completely slamming the web server, getting the metadata requests. And I was like, well, that's true. But, the, you know, and people were like, we need, there needs to be a proxy server built into the whole concept. Otherwise we'd be crashing web servers left and right. And I'm like, nah, I think that's, I mean, people already know how to handle tons of web traffic. And like, that's not our job to figure out how to handle tons of web traffic. I think warning people that you could potentially have tons of web traffic is a heck of a lot different than, and, and maybe here's one solution or here's another solution. You know, you can do this, you can do that, you, you know. Right. Make suggestions, but. Yeah. But to put it in the spec is, I think, a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Like just, just put all your, your URL data on, on, um, on S3 and let Amazon worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a great idea. Unfortunately, the S3 URLs are too long to fit in a Bluetooth advertising packet. So. Yeah, well, use a, use a URL shortener. <laughs> and that has problems too, believe it or not. Ah. Yeah. There's, so, but all of those yeah. problems, <laughs> all of those problems, though, are um, specific to the Bluetooth implementation, which I feel like mm -hmm. right now the group, the group is talking about that a lot because they're trying to solve, they're trying to make something work right now. But long term, Bluetooth is just one way to do this. Yeah. And isn't, I don't feel like it belongs in this spec but it's nice that there's a repo that has bluetooth solutions to like get this set up but ultimately there it, it could be you know this broadcast could happen over i think any any good receiver application would accept tons of different kind not just bluetooth but also nfc rfid um it, i've seen boris Schmoose or Schmoose, however you say his name, uh, he does this audio one where you use ultrasonic mm -hmm. frequencies to send data, just like mm -hmm. a, a dial-up modem, but so high-pitched that you can't hear it. Mm -hmm. um, so you could broadcast using that. You, you could send Morse code over ultrasonic audio and just receive it like that, which would be yeah. so amazing. But anyway, there's like a million ways to imagine like broadcasting over, a, it could use IR for crying out loud. Um, yeah, so, or or just uh, just your basic RF. Yeah, all that right. It's like there's a million ways to do it, um, as long as you stick to the notion of uh, just that. Just all your broadcasting is URL. Boom, done. Period. Like that's the spec. Broadcast a URL, yeah. and that URL could be to a whole world of different things. It could be like a website, or it could be a web server back on the thing that is doing the broadcast. So it it just opens up this massive massive area for possibilities way more than anything any of these other like you know i hesitate to say smart home because this is not the same thing and it's not smart objects or even because they're still dumb it's still a hammer yeah. it's it's still like a pair of jeans but you know if it's broadcasting a url in some way then uh it's it's not smart but it's i guess it, you could call it augmented or augmented reality type of object in yeah. a way yeah it's not a it's not a smart thing but it's just it's broadcasting this URL that you can use to get more data that's relevant to the thing. Right. Right. So I don't know. It makes, it makes like massive sense to me in this, in, in a world where it's safe to assume that mm -hmm. lots of people who have your products also have smartphones. Right. Why build a, why build an interface into my washing machine when I can just broadcast a URL to an interface to my washing machine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's already like, I mean, I guess there's the argument that a, a mechanical interface in a washing machine is far superior, which I would agree with. Uh, 
or I should at least say my, my, I have a lawnmower that's like pure digital and it, it, when it breaks down, it's just garbage. A digital lawnmower. Yeah. It's purely electronic lawnmower and it doesn't, well, I mean, it has a blade, but, but, and when it breaks, it's, there's nothing you can do. It's garbage. It's gone. Like there's no repairing it. You have to like send it back and that's like, I'm going to mail a lawnmower to someone. No, I'm going to (laughs) throw it out. Anyway. So there's, anyway, just kind of a little tangent there, but yeah. Um, so I'm super, super excited about this and it raises, raises, uh, it raised with me at least a really interesting thing that I've kind of been, I didn't realize it, but I've kind of been nibbling around the edges of for about six months. Okay. Which is, um, that there's a, a base assumption Okay, so backing up, the the sort of native versus web debate. The the thing that I have always said to people, and and uh, but less so more recently, is that links don't open apps. Links open in a browser. So, um, Mister Retail Site or Mister you know International Publishing what you know brand. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do any? Um, direct marketing? Are you going to send any emails? Are you going to do like, what all are you going to do? Uh, and are you going to send out any communications that have URLs in them? Cause if you do are, then you have URL. to have a website. Yeah. And because those are going to open in a browser. So if you imagine now in this, the physical <coughs> web thing really brought it up, really brought it up for me, but also the Apple watch really brought it up for me, which is these are devices or these are situations that they're uh, in the physical web thing. There was talk about like a, just a receiver app uh, device. Like, mm-hmm. so let's say, let's say you're walking around and you've got um, Apple watch on, or you've got a uh, Google wear or whatever, Android wear, or even a Pebble's got Bluetooth. Yeah. Like, like I go, I go to this broadcasting receiver application, a broadcast client beacon client. And, uh, Oh look, there's a bunch of stuff around there. Are URLs that I want to click on. And I click on one. And the, the, the application that showed me the URL is not a web browser and there isn't a web browser installed. And it says, um, oh, okay. You, uh, you want to navigate to this. You want to view this web page. You want to view this HTML, um, but you don't have an app that will display it. So you can either download, uh, Chrome or you can download uh, let's let's say it's for my washing machine. It's a Samsung washing machine. You yeah. can either download the Samsung washing machine app, or you can download Chrome. Chrome. Which one am I going to pick? I'm going to pick the washing machine app. Right, because that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, and it's good. It's almost so. And this is our own fault, web developers, because <laughs> I am willing to bet that the Samsung website looks like crap on a phone, because all, it's, it's taking everybody so long to get around to making a good mobile experience on their website that it's pushing people to native apps because they're like, Oh, you know, like if you're Samsung or if guy, the verge is a great example. Thank, thankfully mm-hmm. they just changed their position, but the verge was like, Oh, we're not going to, or we are not, or we can't optimize our existing website, which everyone loves on the desktop for mobile. So we're just going to make a, a native app, which a native, yeah, right. so they did. And, um, and so <laughs> If I saw like, if up until recently, if I saw a link and I, cl- you know, somebody S- SMSs me or emails me a link to a Verge article and I tapped on that link and if I didn't have a browser installed and I didn't have the Verge app installed 
And the phone said, do you want to download the Verge app or Chrome? I'd be like, the Verge app. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that the web is the web is a huge, infinite pile of, of pages and resources. But most of us, I'm willing to bet that most of us don't use more than like a dozen sites on a regular basis. Yeah. So. Right. If you have the option of. Of of using like the crippled experience in a browser, or using an app built just for that one thing you do, most people are going to choose the app. Because yeah, because they're going to assume that it's more right. purpose built. It's it's an, it's an un, well, it's become a fair assumption because yeah, it has. It wasn't at first because you could just as easily have. Well, I shouldn't use the word easily, but um, it's hard to make a native app. It's hard. It can be hard to make a responsive website or similar. You mm-hmm. could have spent that effort doing the website, and then we wouldn't be having this conversation, but tons of people didn't. And instead, they build a native app, and now the the user behavior, even I do it. I'm like the biggest web evangelist out there, and even I don't use the web that much on my phone. Yeah, I, I don't either. Like On the desktop, if I have the choice between a native app or you, or doing the same thing in the browser... Uh, I'll use the browser. Like, I don't have a Twitter desktop client because that's just dumb because I yeah. can go to Twitter.com. Right. But I use the Twitter app on mobile. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. If nothing else, it doesn't log you out. Yeah. If nothing else, you can uh, you can guarantee you're logged in. Yeah, and the less typing I have to do on a phone, the better. Yeah, especially logging in. Yeah, especially passwords. Right. So, I mean, so, but this is about to get a lot worse because because watches and because of things like hint and voice control and you know, p- people are, so think about this like this kind of chew on this. Cause I'm still, I'm still trying to get my head around this, but there are lots of applications that display links mm-hmm. and we are, we have been spoiled for 20 plus years that we could assume for sure, it was a safe assumption to say that there's definitely something on this device that can open this URL because there have been free web browsers installed on everything by default since like 90, early 90s. Yeah. So if all of a sudden that changes and we start to, it becomes more and more popular to have devices that don't have um, a native or, or a, a general, call them a general purpose web browser, which is itself just another native app. Mm-hmm. Um. And those, and now, so if we can't assume that's there in, on these new devices, and if on the existing devices like, uh, Android, um, for, you know, L Android L and the new, um, iOS eight, if links do open native apps, you can already see this in Android. If you click on a yeah. link that goes to www, like HTTP colon slash slash youtube.com it will ask you if you want to open it in the youtube app yeah yeah i had that happen the other day i had opened a, a link to a twitter profile like mm-hmm. do you want to use the website the web page or do you want to use the app, and app. I selected, yeah and i selected the app and then it said just this once or always mm, yeah. always always <laughs> right links do open apps now yeah so once you have deep linking into apps the browser is kind of dead because I, so I was asking Erica about this last night. I'm like, what do you, she's a power user. Like she, she was right. like a hardcore illustrator user back in the day, phone, Photoshop. She used to teach people how to use it. Uh, she knows her way around. And, right. um, she, I was like, uh, so this there's some really telling things came on us. I'm like, what do you use the web for? She reads tons of blogs, but she reads them in mm-hmm. a feed reader. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's like, oh, but you know, a lot of times I'll link out to the browser to read the original post because the the photos and stuff don't show up that great in uh, the reader she uses, which is called Blog Lovin'. And I was like, yeah, but. And then she said something that made me realize that she wasn't actually linking out to Safari. She was opening it up in a web view inside of Blog Lovin'. Ah. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, it's opening inside of your reader, right? And she's like, no, no, it shows the web page. And like right there, I was like, she doesn't even know when she's in Safari and when she isn't. Yeah, yeah. But, and she was using, she was, she was conflating. And this is a major, major, uh, this is rampant. Mm -hmm. I almost said it's a major problem, but it's something that we need to unlearn uh, that web page doesn't mean browser. Yeah. Like if someone's looking at a web page, it could be in a web view, like a web page viewer inside of right. Facebook or inside of Twitter or inside of a feed reader or inside of a right. mail client. Like how often do sticky albums get viewed inside the Facebook browser? Yeah. I mean, in iOS, the majority, majority of web traffic is coming from Facebook inside the Facebook app, not Safari. Safari doesn't have as much market share as the Facebook app on iOS. That's crazy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm quoting Luke W there. So, uh, so if you want actual information on that, you can bother him on Twitter, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I believe it because think of all this, think of all the web content that's being shown in the Facebook app tons. And like when you, when you used to be that you'd click on a link and it would like leave Facebook and it would launch Safari and you'd go to that page and it was great. Everything was fine. Right. And so you might say, oh, well, t- Stark, that you're just making, you're splitting hairs. And no, I'm not. You, and here's why. Because if we're worried about like optimizing our, con- over optimizing our content because, oh, I'm on an iPhone and this is my web page and therefore they're in Safari and therefore I have this many pixels vertically because I know it's iPhone 6, then I'm <laughs> going to say I have this much room and I'm going to j- arrange the things on the screen. No, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter if you know you're on iPhone 6. You have no clue what's going on outside of that web view. Right, they're still gonna be they're still gonna be viewing your page. Mm-hmm. You just have no clue how they're gonna be viewing it. Right, and so the classic case is the is the is uh, Matteo Spinelli's Cubic Add to Home Screen plugin. Yes, which points at something. It's the web page is pointing at something that is assuming is outside of the web view, but is not always the case. Right, like it's trying to point to the Chrome to the browser Chrome, mm-hmm. like where the button will be. Right, and so you all, all kinds of weird things crop up even you just so like another example is like you you could be in safari on a phone call which mm-hmm. eats up an ex there's like a phone call bar across the top that eats up like another 40 pixels that you weren't expecting so that can actually push bottom controls and stuff out of a web app window yeah you just can't you just can't you you can't do it that way or or even like we had the the situation come up where in and i've got it now on my um, well, no, I don't. It's a little bit different. Um, where like some of the Sam Samsung phones, like the plugin would would try and say, oh, add to your home screen by tapping this button. If you because it would say, oh, they're in Android browser. Mm-hmm. The the button is here, but no, the button wasn't there because there's a physical button on the phone for it. Yeah, Samsung has a physical button, so the apps automatically remove the menu button from yeah. the, the user interface. Anyway, so the, the point is, well, we're getting a, maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but the, the fact of the matter is the browser is declining greatly in use. And whenever I've had this, I've always fought against that statement because I always conflated it with the web is declining in use. Yeah. And that is not the same thing. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. I, I would do the same thing. And after talking with you about it yesterday, 
And I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. <laughs> mm. Because the, the, pay, the web pages are still getting viewed. Mm-hmm. They're just maybe not getting viewed in Safari or Chrome or uh, Android browser. They're getting viewed in, in native apps that have sp- specific ways to display them and that sort of thing. Right, right. And so, and, but we could take it one step farther and say that, um, that, uh, the, the, assuming you have an API, you, it's safe to say, like, if you have an API, then you can say, oh, well, like if you're Netflix or you are, um, the BBC or you are mm-hmm. NPR, you can be like, my content is my content. It's in a database and the presentation of that content is separate from that. Sometimes I'm going to present it as HTML for things that can consume that. Sometimes I'm going to present it as an audio file. Yeah. For when that's more appropriate. And and this sort of death of the browser thing, I think, should be yet another wake-up call to people about getting your content squared away, get it like like just really pulling all of the pollution, the sort of layout pollution out of your content. Mm-hmm. Add a bunch of metadata to it. Um and that metadata could be short, medium, long titles. It could be uh, here's this here's this text as audio. I, there's a million ways that you could enrich your content completely independent of the output, uh, the, the, where it's going to be displayed or presented, and then it's just like the next thing you do is like okay, uh, in a use case where the the user agent. It's funny because I, I like now I'm starting to use the term user agent more in conversation yeah. because it's become <laughs> important. Right. What the user agent, because if you say browser, that has all these connotations like, oh, it has cookies and there's a bookmarking capability and back and forward. And, but like you can view web pages now in user agents that don't have any of that stuff. Right. So you're still viewing the web pages, but is it the same web? I mean, it's very different. Like if cookies are required and the user agent doesn't support them, then does your site still work? You know, it's like, anyway, so um, this the the takeaway is the same takeaway as always when we talk about like <laughs> fragmentation which is like get your content together have yeah. a self-service APIs so at least your own internal teams can create all different kinds of clients for all different kinds of user agents and devices and go from there like I yeah think- it it feels it feels like so much work though when people are yeah it's way off in know, the future it is it feels like i i agree with what you're saying and even for me it's hard to make the mental leap that, oh, this content needs to be free of all presentation stuff. Because right now, things are still, whether it's the Facebook browser or Chrome or Safari, it's still rendering HTML somewhere. Right. Yeah, most, I agree. Most of the time. So it's, I, I agree with it, but it's, even for me, it, mentally, it's hard to make that leap too. Sure. But so it's, but there's a, there's a, um, I think there's a way to go about it that lays the groundwork for mm-hmm. extensibility in the future. And there's a way to do it that makes it really hard to extend later. Yeah. So, you know, for a long time I was like API first, but then I, you know, we found that it makes it really, it sort of sucks the life out of a project. Yeah. Because like API, you, API first is great if you're building a single page app. Yeah. And well, the, it's, but see, but, you said page like yeah then again it's really hard to build an api in the absence of any kind of client right it is so what ends up happening is you think you're you have all these great ideas that you end up having to change it anyway the first time you build the very first interface yeah you end up either accidentally putting client logic in the api Mm -hmm. or you put a bunch of like super abstracted stuff in the api that you end up never needing Mm mm-hmm 
So as an, yes, I'm guilty as charged. So <laughs> tribes. So, tribes. <laughs> by the way. explain that joke one day. One day we'll explain that. By the way, I've come up with new ones. Uh, Have you? Crew. Could use crew. crew. Yep. <laughs> Peeps. Gang. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, um, yeah, it, we were looking for a synonym or I was looking for a synonym for friends and family, which I can't bring myself to type. Um, anyway, um, so here's a, a tactile or sort of actual example would be to use rails to build your first web app. It should be responsive just to cover your, make your life easy to, to mm-hmm. cover your bases, make a responsive web app with rails. And then you can easily like turn that into an API. You like, can bake an API into that relatively easily. Right. And then, okay, great. So like I've created this website, I've got some traction, I've got some feel for how it's going to work and how people are using it and the kinds of features that they want. And I'm getting some demand for this on Xbox for some bizarre reason or some demand for this <laughs> on glass for some reason. All right, no big deal. So now here's, we spin the API off of it. And would you do that with like a Rails engine or you could you could just do it I hate yeah, doing it off way. the yeah. I hate doing it off the web app URLs because they're different than the API yeah. might be. But anyway, so you can spin off an API off of that. It's going to the same database, same content. And if you if in your content, if you made sure to keep your view logic in the views and not in your content in your database, then you're in, in fine shape. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can branch out from there. And if somebody says, Hey, you know what would be great? Um I got this, the CEO got this new uh, Moto Hint, and uh, he wants to be able to listen to our blog posts while he's driving in. Ah, No big deal. Add a field for, you know, audio file URL or whatever. This this text as audio, whatever you want to call it, and then just do that. And then you're not like, it's just not messing with anything. Or, oh, you know, we need this, uh, we need to send this content to, um, we need to send the, the, uh, update stream let's say you've got yammer or something internally you've got some kind of like internal twitter client that you guys use to keep track or slack or something like that we need to send these posts to everybody's um we're getting we're getting uh pebbles for everybody so your notifications on your risk and we need to send these notifications to those devices all right great no big deal or or we need to commute we need to send out um sms's to all of our clients no big deal because there's not angle brackets in there yeah anyway all these things are they're 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 still fringe. A lot of them are still fringe, but they're getting closer and closer to reality and popular use. Meanwhile, the browser itself is I mean, it is declining in use. I mean, there's no argument. It's yeah. its numbers yeah. show that the the pro, a proper browser on mobile is the usage is declining. But it isn't to say that the web is dying. I just think that it's it's just getting more specialized. Right, right. People are still looking at web pages. They're just looking at them in different ways mm-hmm. that don't involve Chrome or Safari or Opera or Android browser. Yeah. I mean, just think about like like Instapaper is a great example yeah. where they just like, they're like, you know what? We hate your, like, I hate your web design. I can't read the site. Like, I just want the text. I just want the text. This thing's yeah. flashing at me and it won't finish loading. I'm just going to send it to Instapaper and read it there or readability right. or Safari's reader mode. So anyway, all of these things are just like making the, it's almost like the, the success of the web, it's kind of become baked into everything. So uh-huh. we don't really need a browser for it that much. Oh, that was the thing I asked Erica. I was like, what, what do you use it for? And she was like, she was thinking about it and she came up with, um, 
if she was going to um, try to find out more information about an event, mm-hmm. she would do it. Um, she had to really think. It was like, yeah. it was like I guess if I was going to search for something that I wasn't really sure what I was going to find. So like if you're going to search for like, I need, I want to buy this pair of sneakers near me somewhere. You, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know what app to download because it wouldn't, you wouldn't download like the Target app and the Walmart app and the Nordstrom's app and then just search <laughs> right. for the same sneakers in every one. Right. So she's like, if you, it was kind of like to summarize, it was kind of like if she didn't know where to search, she'd search Google. Yeah. Searching is the only thing I use the browser for on my phone. But so outside check it out. Of, outside of testing stuff for work. But I don't even use the browser for search sometimes because I'll just use Google Now, which is not right. the same thing. Yeah. No, that's true. I'm using it more and more. Yeah. It's not the same thing. That's the Google Now app. It's not showing it to you in Chrome. Yeah. True. Like most of the time, most of the time, I'll just ask my phone to, to look up something for me. Right. Yeah. So the, the so you can, you can, I would argue that the, uh, uh, an application that displays a web page is potentially a lot different than a web browser like browsing the web is kind of dead you don't really browse the web I yeah. don't, you just don't you know you're not just like yeah, sit you there have browsing your small handful web. of things that you use every day yeah you browse i well I'll, i won't speak generally speaking for myself i go through feedly which is my feed reader mm-hmm. um i browse twitter i browse facebook these are all native apps on my phone I don't, I barely ever do any of that on the desktop where if I did, it would be in the native and sorry, in the, in the browser in Chrome. Yeah. I use the browser for developing websites more than I do for browsing websites. I do. I do too. Yeah. So, so HTML, CSS, JavaScript, alive and well, the web alive and well browsers, mm, not looking. So they're looking a little peaked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the at the very least, uh, they're changing, and they're not just like your your web browser or the future is not going to be just this one highly specialized thing that's meant for browsing web pages. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a part of the Facebook app or a part of the Twitter app. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, possible heresy. I I realize, but um, I mean, honestly, I I don't really care about the browser. I care about the web. Yeah. So. I, it doesn't, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something, but it doesn't really bother me if, like there's, like on iOS alone, there are four different rendering engines for web content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's not like your content's not getting viewed because browser usage is declining. Right. So it's not like there's actually anything to worry about in that regard. So personally, I don't see it as a big deal. It just means that you have to maybe change the way you approach developing so that your apps are going to be more accessible on across different softwares yeah it's like just like it doesn't mean you have to make a native app i'm not saying that you still need you need you definitely need your site has got to be responsive i mean Mm -hmm. if if there's any there's some exceptions where it really is impossible to make a given site responsive Uh, i came across one the other day that i was like this i just cannot use this site on a phone Uh, i can't remember what it was it wasn't because the site was done poorly it just didn't make sense on the phone right I can't remember what it was, but I needed to see small details in something and it just didn't, it just didn't work. Um, but anyway, um, so it, I'm not saying you need to make a native app, but you do need to, to stop assuming that your web pages are being viewed in a browser. Even when you know the operating system, even when you're getting a user agent string, you can't believe it. 
and sometimes I sniff them, but it, it's like you, you just you just be real with yourself. Like that's yeah. that's best effort, and it's not it great. It is. It is. Um. Jeez, we should probably wrap. <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.